There's no new CBA. The beginning of Major League Spring Training and Games is delayed. But we will have Spring Training and Games. We'll also have a full season of baseball. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! Last week, an official announcement was made by Major League Baseball. Spring training games, which were scheduled to begin this Saturday have been postponed, and they've been pushed back until at least next Saturday, which would be March the 5th. Major League Baseball has also announced that it believes a new collective bargaining agreement needs to be in place by the end of this month, which would be one week from today, if the regular season is going to begin on time, and that is currently scheduled to begin March the 31st. Neither of those pieces of news are good news if you're a fan of Major League Baseball. It may not be all bad news. There may be at least a little flicker of light in the fact that both sides, the owners and the players, have said that they're going to meet probably beginning today and may meet every single day this week. That provides some encouragement. It also provides a reason to say, hmm, why this week? Why not last week? Why not last month? Why hasn't this been a more urgent issue up until now? In one sense, we all know the answer because now we're approaching a pretty hard and and fast deadline. But still, why did it not take place earlier? The other thing is that even though they may meet today and every day this week, based upon their relationship for decades and where it is exactly right now, there's reason for concern. Just take what took place last week. So first of all, the owners and commissioner, Major League Baseball, put this out, a press release. We regret that, without a collective bargaining agreement in place, we must postpone the start of spring training games until no earlier than Saturday, March 5th. All 30 clubs are unified in their strong desire to bring players back to the field and fans back to the stands. The clubs have adopted a uniform policy that provides an option for full refunds for fans who have purchased tickets from the clubs to any spring training games that are not taking place. Shortly thereafter, the Major League Baseball Players Association released this. Major League Baseball announced today that it, in scare quotes, must postpone the start of spring training games. This is false. Nothing requires the league to delay the start of spring training, much like nothing required the league's decision to implement the lockout in the first place. Despite these decisions by the league, players remain committed to the negotiating process. So, it doesn't look tremendously encouraging. But at the beginning, I said we were going to have spring training and spring training games that we would have a full season of baseball. 
Well, that was not based on my confidence in what's going to take place between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. It is the fact that there is baseball other than Major League Baseball. The college season kicked off last week. We're going to have high school baseball, little league baseball, independent league professional baseball, professional baseball in Mexico, Korea, and Japan. And not only that, but if you are a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals or a fan of the Colorado Rockies, we will also have baseball with players that play for those organizations along with the other 28. And what I'm referring to here is affiliated professional baseball at the minor league level from AAA on down. Minor league baseball is a really great thing. And if you happen to live in a minor league town or get a chance to see games on a regular basis, you realize that. And I started thinking about my own lifetime in baseball. Professionally, I've been in baseball about 25 years as a player and a coach. And about 80% of that has been spent at the minor league level, including the entirety of my coaching career. And then I thought about all levels of baseball from little league up. And the longest amount of time I've spent at any level has been spent at the minor league level in professional baseball. So minor league baseball is very important, has been very instrumental in my life. It's very dear to my heart. The people that are involved in it, I have the utmost respect for. I worked with some of the best people in the game at the minor league level, whether that's managers, coaches, trainers, strength and conditioning coaches, whatever it might be, rehab guys. There are a lot of people whose names you have probably never heard of in your life that are instrumental in developing the guys that you turn the TV on when there is Major League Baseball and watch play and enjoy watching them play. So as we speak, there are pitchers and catchers, and I would assume position players as well, already in Florida and Arizona at the spring training complexes of the 30 organizations. And they will play spring training games. If you're one who goes down to one of these cities, either in Arizona or Florida, you will have the opportunity to watch games from the AAA level down to the A-ball level. So AAA, AA, high A, and low A throughout the month of March. And minor league baseball will play a full regular season beginning in April. And if you are a fan of AAA, if you live in a AAA city, there was an announcement made last week that this year, the AAA level of professional baseball will increase the number of games it plays during the season. Historically, for at least as long as I can remember, AAA has played 144 games in the regular season. This year, they will play 150 games in the regular season at the AAA level. All of this is something to be excited about, something to be thankful for. However, it's not all fun and games, even in minor league baseball. A lot of things are happening that, at least to me, and it's not just me, I, I've read others as well, cause some serious concern, even as it regards minor league baseball. Before I get to that, I want to clarify something. I just kind of pass by it. Some people are confused. They hear lockout, and they think that means everybody. Now, the lockout only involves those people that are on the 40-man roster or certain free agents uh, that were big leaguers. But all the minor league players that are not on a 40-man roster, they are not locked out. 
So in that sense, nothing changes for them. I mentioned several episodes ago that in the lockout of 1990, I was a minor league player. I was not on a 40-man roster at that time, and how it was advantageous, it worked out that way for me, because during minor league camp, when there was no big league camp going on, Al Rosen, who was the general manager of the Giants at the time, Roger Craig, who was the manager of the big league club, came and watched minor league games. And that gave me some exposure to them. They got to see me pitch when, under normal circumstances, they wouldn't. So that's the difference there. But getting back to minor league baseball, we've got this first issue that does have to do with a lockout. Something that is going to be detrimental might be too strong of a word, but nonetheless, it's going to bring about a hindrance or a delay in the development of some players. So let's say I'm a pitcher, and in 2020, I was going to play my second full season of professional baseball. And I go to spring training anticipating that happening, and then the season's canceled. Remember, minor league baseball was canceled for 2020. There was a training site for each organization, and some minor league players were there, but very few. So in 2020, I'm about to begin my second full season of professional baseball, which I think is very, very important. The first season you get to pro ball, typically you're going to get drafted or signed in June. You're going to play half a season. The next year, you play your first full season. And that is both mentally and physically um, a serious adjustment needed, a serious challenge. And so in that first season, you have to work through those things. Now when you come in to begin your second full season, you've got an understanding of what it means to show up in spring training in February or March and play virtually every day until sometime in early September. But I just lost out on that opportunity in 2020. But now in 2021, I have a very good season, let's say, at high A ball. And it's now a time for me or for the organization to decide, are we going to protect him from other teams? And what that means is that when I'm eligible for the Rule 5 draft as a player, the organization I play for has to decide are we going to add him to the 40-man roster? Because in doing so, that prevents the other 29 teams from taking me in the Rule 5 draft. If they decide not to do that, they can protect me at AAA or AA, and then a team can take me. If I'm protected at the AAA level, the team takes me in the Rule 5 draft, pays money to the organization that I was with, and now I'm on their 40-man roster, and I'm required to stay in the major leagues the whole year or the team that purchased me has to offer me back to my original organization. If I'm protected at a lower level, like AA, doesn't matter. The, the fee to get me is less, and then they can do with, with me as they please. But if I'm that guy that missed 2020, and then last offseason I am placed on the 40-man roster of the organization that I came up with, I lost all of 2020, and now, though I had no chance of making the big league team, the organization knew we're going to send him to double A to start the season. As a matter of fact, we don't think this year, 2022, is the year for Mark Dewey to get to the big leagues for us. But we didn't want to lose him. Well, now I'm sitting at home. I can't go to spring training. I'm delayed to some degree of getting to spring training and competing in spring training. That is going to hinder my development. Add to that, missing all of 2020, and you see there's some significant things going on that a lot of people aren't noticing. Secondly, about minor league baseball, 
yet again, there seems to be an intent on behalf of Major League Baseball. And I just want to remind you, when I say Major League Baseball, I am referring to the owners and the commissioner. There seems to be an intention on behalf of Major League Baseball to once again reduce Minor League Baseball. Apparently, this was part of a proposal that Major League Baseball made, and apparently it was rejected by the Players Association. But the desire is to reduce the number of players in minor league baseball. Right now, the maximum number that any organization can have of minor league players on rosters in season is 180 players. Major League Baseball wants to bring that down, not in one fell swoop, but over time, bring that down so that the maximum number of players that any organization can have would be 150. That would be the maximum number on rosters during the regular season. That would be a decrease of 17%, at least for some organizations, because there are organizations that have that max 180, and there are some organizations that have less than that. I believe there are some that actually even have less than 150. But nonetheless, for for some organizations, that would be a 17% decrease in the number of players. Now, one of the problems I have, and I, I guess I have many, is that we even have the max of 180, let alone then decreasing it to 150. And and the problem I have is we seem to have this idea that life isn't fair if everybody isn't equal in every way we can force them to be equal. If I'm the Boston Red Sox, I'm the owner, or I'm the general manager, or whoever it might be, and I want to have 195 players in my minor league system on rosters during the season, I ought to be able to do that. And if I'm the Miami Marlins and I say, well, I only want to have 135 players, I'm the owner, the GM, whoever it might be, I ought to be able to do that as well. And the idea that, well, that's not fair. The big, bad, rich Red Sox have an advantage over the Marlins. Well, that's life. And the Marlins can decide whether they want to invest extra money to have more minor league players. Or the Red Sox, who may have a lot of money, may decide, based on any number of things, why they want to have far fewer But I believe each organization, all 30 of them, ought to be saying, we want to do what we think is best for our organization because I think that's best in the interest of baseball. Now remember, back in 2019-2020, during the offseason, Major League Baseball completely eliminated 42 minor league teams. So not only did that eliminate a lot of players, but 42 cities lost their professional baseball team. Some of those, like where I live and where the Appalachian League used to be, they have now a collegiate summer league. But those teams or those cities lost their professional teams. They lost the opportunity, like in this league. Through history in the Appalachian League, where I live, people got to see Nolan Ryan play in rookie ball, or Alan Trammell, or Lance Parrish, and a whole bunch of Ronald Acuna Jr. more recently. They've lost that ability now. They have to drive somewhere if they want to see that. And again, a lot of the fans... At the minor league level, and I saw this coming up as a player, and even as a coach, but especially as a player, the fans absolutely love having a minor league team in their city. When I played in San Jose, California, back in 1989, there was talk about both the A's and Giants, I think, but at least one of the two teams possibly relocating to San Jose. And the fans that went to the games there night after night through the season were like, we don't want that. We'll drive the 45 minutes to Oakland or or San Francisco. We want 
We want our high A ball team here where we get to know the players. We get to interact with the players. And so 42 cities lost that opportunity. And then also remember that the draft now has dropped from 40 rounds to 20 rounds. We had the one season during COVID where it was at five. And I get it. I get that the statistics show that after the 20th round, a very small percentage of people that play professional baseball drafted after the 20th round or drafted as a non or signed as a non-drafted free agent don't get to the big leagues. I get that. But there's a few things. Some do. I'm one. I was drafted in the 23rd round. And when I was drafted, I don't think anybody expected me to get to the big leagues. But not only that, there are people drafted later than the 20th round that have become superstar players. And there's a significant number, I think it might be double digits, of those drafted later than the 20th round who are in the Hall of Fame. The most famous of which would be Mike Piazza. There was a time in which the draft didn't cap anywhere. A team could bow out after the 35th round or the 45th round or the 55th round. Well, Mike Piazza was drafted by the Los Angeles Dodgers. I believe it was the 63rd round of the draft that he was involved in. And he's a Hall of Famer. But there's more to it than that. There are a number of people that get drafted, let's say in the 37th round, and they come into pro ball, and they play a year at rookie ball, a year at low A, a year or two at high A, and that's as far as they get. They're just not able to climb the ladder, and their playing career comes to an end. And I have seen and worked with so many that that was true about that then become managers or pitching coaches or hitting coaches or whatever it might be, and they are phenomenal at the jobs that they do. And they are instrumental in developing the guys that you watch on TV or on your computer, the guys playing at the major league level. And so not only when you reduce the draft to 20 rounds, does it impact the players who might end up being big leaguers or even Hall of Famers. And again, I get the raw data. I get the stats behind it. But it also reduces the number of people that could potentially, after having a minor league playing career that, that didn't go anywhere, turning into coaches and having a huge impact on those who become major leaguers, major league superstars, and major league Hall of Famers. Now, I have no doubt that Major League Baseball is going to claim that by reducing the number of minor league players, that that's going to help them take care of their players better, pay them better, take care of their housing and the like. Well, I want to talk about that as well. Because while they say that, I'm not very much convinced that that's actually what they want to do. So how about minor league salary? It is still ridiculously low overall. It has improved some, but it's still very, very low. Now, I was drafted in 1987. I believe that year I made $600 a month playing professional baseball. And because you get drafted in June, you make that money for two and a half months. So I made about $1,500 that year playing professional baseball. The next year, you go to spring training in about early March. The season ends about early September, so you have six months. You don't get paid in spring training. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And then you get paid for the five months. I think I made $700 a month that year. So I made a grand total of $3,500. The next year, I go to high A in San Jose, California. I believe I made $900 a month. 
So I had a whopping salary that year of $4,500. Now, I, I said it's been it's improved, and some organizations have improved it much more than others, but it is still ridiculously low. And think of what I said earlier. AAA this year is not going to play 144 games, but 150, which means more revenue for the teams. It also means more work for the players, but not a true increase in their pay. Sure, they have six extra days, or if there's an off day mixed in, there's seven extra days of pay, but whatever their salary is, is going to remain the same. Then we talk about housing. Several months ago, it was reported that Major League Baseball decided that it would provide housing for its minor league players because that has been a big issue, not only financially for the minor league players, but this just the logistics of it. Well, right away, people had concerns, in part because Major League Baseball didn't say exactly how they were going to do this, but in part because everybody realized this is probably more than anything else simply because of the bad publicity that's been going around that led up to this decision. Well, since that announcement months ago, concerns about this being handled correctly, handled in a way that's beneficial to the players, have grown. They have not diminished. And then this last week, there is reports, and again, one of the things that's being talked about now, is that minor league players do not get paid during spring training. Some minor league players, if you're a position player in a certain category, you might spend three weeks in spring training. If you're a pitcher or a catcher in another category, you might spend six weeks there. You are giving, given housing. You are typically given food at the complex and maybe a stipend for a meal in the evening, which, which is sufficient. Not great, but sufficient. But you get no money. So for that three to six week period of time, if you've got to buy toothpaste, if you, have, if you drove your car to spring training and it breaks down and you have to repair it, you're not getting paid. Now, Evan Drellick tweeted something out last week about why Major League Baseball is arguing that minor leaguers should not get paid in spring training, that the status quo should remain as is. This is what, according to Evan Drellick, Major League Baseball said. It is the players that obtain the greater benefit from the training opportunities that they are afforded than the clubs, who actually just incur the cost of having to provide that training. I read that Major League Baseball is saying the players ought to consider themselves blessed of the great benefit we're providing for them, and we've got to incur the cost of these spring training practices and games and the like. As if the minor league players like belonged to somebody else. They were, they were just independent, and they came to the facilities. These are your minor league players. <laughs> it, 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 if it wasn't so sad, it would be laughable. And the reason that all of these things are wrong or maybe put it differently, all of these things should be looked at and, and, and the owners should say, how is it we can enhance the way we treat our minor league players? Their player development, their salary, their opportunity, their housing. How can we help them more in spring training? Is because Jesus Christ makes it very plain, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And even though I've had very few conversations with any owners of Major League Baseball throughout my life, I think it's safe to say that there's not a single owner that would want to be treated in the way that his minor league players are being treated. Now, no doubt, Major League Baseball is going to claim that they're doing this all because they have the best interest of the players and of their organization and of their game at heart. 
and I want to encourage us, encourage us not to be so cynical as to question the sincerity of the commissioner and the owners. Because after all, that would be somewhat like questioning the sincerity of Justin Trudeau when he proclaims that all he has been doing recently is in the best interest of Canadian citizens. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.